The episode that you're about to listen to was originally recorded and released in October 2020 on the Just Another Fanboy podcast feed. Feedback can be sent to justanotherfanboy at gmail.com, despite what I say when I close out the episode. And with that out of the way, welcome to Just Another Fanboy Reads Madman Comics. As I hit record... To begin this episode, it suddenly dawns on me that last episode, I changed the theme song. Well, not last episode. Last episode was the spotlight of my other podcast. So the episode before that, I changed the theme song. Kind of forgot about that. And the theme song that I'm using now, which I love, love the music. It was created specially for me. I'm going to brag about that a lot probably on here. But the way the theme song kicks in, it lends itself to a cold opening, which is what we're doing here. A cold opening means you just start talking. At least that's what I think it means. There's there's no music. There's no theme song to start the podcast. And so I should be trying to come up with something clever to say here in the opening. For my other podcast, I do the same thing, but I tell a stupid joke and then the theme song kicks in. When I was doing Stephen or else, I would do a sketch with a couple of characters that I created. But for this, for just another fanboy, I really did not remember that I had changed the theme song. And so I have nothing at all to give you for this cold opening except what you just heard. Oh, I hope you didn't stop listening. Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host, Steven, and today, woo, you know I do that a lot. That's most of my episodes, isn't it? I think I made a joke about this a while back, but it's, Hello, welcome to Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host, Steven, and today I'm going to talk about this. Bibbidi-bobbidi-bibbidi-boop. It's very formulaic, but you know what? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So this is part six of Madman, going through all the Madman comics, one issue at a time. A book that I fell in love with back in the 90s, and I've been wanting to reread them for quite a while, and I thought I would use the excuse, not that I need an excuse, to read an awesome comic book like Madman, but I thought I would use the the this here podcast, my little podcast here that I put together, just to to share my love of Madman with y'all because love it I do. And we're finishing out Madman Adventures. This is the second Madman series. The first one was just called Madman. It had three issues. This one's called Madman Adventures, and it has three issues. And we're talking about issue number three. And when we start, we're driving out into the desert, the hard pan, a rocky area. Frank and Dr. Flem and Dr. Boyford are taking a vacation. They're going camping out in the desert land, out in this harsh environment. It's not quite, it's not just flat desert. Like I said, there's a, there's mountainous, rocky things around. And the main reason they're going is because Dr. Boyford needs a bit of a break. He has been taking this brain serum that he injects from a needle into his tongue to make himself smarter. And it has made himself way more intelligent. He was already a pretty intelligent dude. He's a scientist. He's a mad scientist. He was already pretty much a genius, but this has taken him over the top. But it's also made him a bit of a jerk. It's given him quite the attitude. And when we start out this issue, we're, we got all three of our characters here, Dr. Flem, Dr. Boyford, and Frank. They're in the front seat 
or I guess the only seat, the bench seat of an old pickup with a camper shell on the back of it. Dr. Flem is driving. Dr. Boyford is sitting in the middle and Frank is shotgun. Well, Dr. Boyford looks slightly different than he used to because the last time we saw him, he was bald. But now suddenly he's got this huge head of hair. It's like a big pompadour. It's like Elvis squared. It's this really hip freaking big pompadour hairdo. And again, he's kind of a jerk. They're talking, Dr. Flem is talking about this campsite that they're looking for. And Dr. Boyford's like, I know, I know, blue skies, carefree days, no worries, blah, blah, blah. But Frank, he's really looking forward to this. And when they get out there to the campsite, the first thing Frank wants to do is go explore. And he asks them, do you guys mind if I go off and do a little exploring? And Dr. Boyford just freaking goes off on him. I certainly do. I suppose I'll be expected to make camp, prepare the meals, and do any other laborious activities. And at this point, as he's yelling at Frank, his his hair, which we presume to be a wig because he was bald, and this is pretty much giving us the big clue that it is because that's about to pop off his head. And we can kind of see underneath it, there's something weird going on to his head underneath that wig. Well, Frank feels kind of bad that he's upset Dr. Boyford, but Dr. Flem explains to him, no, that's okay. Don't worry. I'll take care of everything. Um, Frank, why don't you go explore, but get us some wood for the fire while you're out there. I'll take care of everything else. Dr. Boyford, why don't you go get into the camper and take a little nap? And so Frank is out and he's exploring and he's gathering up wood. And suddenly, as he's walking around out there with an arm full of wood, it's just suddenly like, something just freaking hits him. There's this wonderful panel of his eyes just straight up bugging out of his head. It's very, it's a very surreal looking thing. Something is trying to communicate with Frank through his brain. And it hits Frank so hard that he drops all the wood and he's looking out over this. He's basically up on this in this rocky area and he's looking out over the flats. I don't know if they're salt flats, but it's it's a big flat open area. And he's telling himself he's realizing that this is where that that sound came from. Whatever it was that just smacked him upside the head like a big wet fish. It's coming from the flats, but he doesn't just go running out there. He goes back to the camp to drop off his wood and he asks Dr. Flem if he heard something strange just a moment ago. And he's trying to describe it to Dr. Flem because Dr. Flem is like, well, no, I didn't, but I'm assuming you did. And he says, yeah, it was kind of like an odd hum, a whispering hum, like a voice from the past. And Dr. Flem suggests that maybe it was the wind whistling through the canyons. And Frank's like, "Mm, nah. I don't think so. I don't know. It just seems so distinct, almost desperate. And Dr. Flem realizes that it's got Frank kind of feeling kind of wonky. And, and, and Frank explains that it, it felt kind of like a, a, a beacon of some kind that just slammed into his head. And Dr. Flem tries to distract him. Says, so, you know, basically you need to rest just like the rest of us. You need, you need to relax. So let's, let's get this fire going and roast some weenies. How about you go get the matches out of the camper? Frank thinks that's a pretty good idea, but Dr. Flem tells him now, try not to disturb Dr. Boyford because he's probably asleep by now. So as Frank makes his way around the back of the truck to get into the camper, he notices before he even gets into the camper that Boyford's not in there. No, he's hiding behind a rock 
and he's getting ready to inject more of the brain serum into his tongue. And Frank comes up from behind and startles him. I thought you were through with your brain expansion experiments. And Boyford explains, well, you know, I didn't stop. I've cut back. It's important research. I know what I'm doing. Don't worry about it. And Frank's like, don't worry about it. And he, this is where we do finally find out that, yes, it is, in fact, this wonderful head of hair, this big pompadour on Boyford's head is a wig because Frank snatches it off his head and he says, look what it's doing to you. And you can see his brain has like grown six times its normal size. And it's really weird because back in the first series and just in the Madman series, the first three issues, Dr. Boyford had pretty much died. He'd been run over by a car. These bad guys tried to take him out. And as he was dying, he told Frank to freeze him and then go find Dr. Flem to bring him back to life. And, and that's what he did. Well, in order to bring him back to life, they had to, Dr. Flem had to cut a strip on the top of his head, like a mohawk, like a reverse mohawk, and cut through his skull and, pu and pull his skull open there, this strip, and inject some chemicals into his brain. And so to fix that, where he removed the skull, they put this metal plate on his head. And again, it's like a, it's, Think of it like a mohawk that's maybe half an inch tall. It's just a metal plate, a strip, a metal strip. And so his brain, the metal strip is kind of holding his brain down right there where that metal strip is. And the, so his brain is kind of popping out or his head, which is now shaped like a big brain, is popping out at either side with like a canyon going right down the middle where this metal strip is. And so Frank has given him all kinds of crap. You, this is, this is messing you up, man. Look at your head. You promised us you would relax on this vacation. Now you get into that camper and you take a nap or we're going to have to tie you down. And Boyford's like, no, I'll sleep now. I know you're concerned, but please, there's no need to worry about me. So we go back to Dr. Flem and he's starting the fire and then they start roasting hot dogs and they're eating hot dogs and they're having s'mores and Dr. Flem is telling Frank a scary story all the while Boyford's in the back of the camper sleeping. And then as they're getting very relaxed, you know, they're having a good time. They're roasting weenies, they're roasting hot dogs, scary stories. They're having a good time. Suddenly Frank jumps up there. Do you hear that? Do you feel that? And he feels it again and he hears it again. And whatever it is, it's trying to contact Frank. And Dr. Flem says, nope, I didn't hear anything. Why don't you just go to sleep? It's been a long day. I'm sure you're pretty stressed out. So Frank climbs into his sleeping bag and then he just has this really crazy dream. It's all about him questioning life and his purpose in life in this, this dream. And he keeps seeing Joe in the dream and he grows to the size of a giant with like the earth beneath him, like a marble. And he just, it's the, the whole dream is really weird. It's really existential and really kind of crazy and all this weird stuff's happening all around him. And he's talking about God and he wonders if he's just, if he's just been living forever. Maybe that's why he doesn't remember his past life before they brought him back to life. Because if you remember, the whole deal with Frank Einstein is that he died in a car accident. Dr. Boyford brought him back to life. He couldn't remember anything before the accident. He named, Boyford named him Frank Einstein after his two heroes, Frank Sinatra and Albert Einstein. And again, I've mentioned this before because I think it's so clever and I'm impressed really easily, but Frank Einstein sounds like 
Frankenstein, which was another character that was brought back to life. Anyway, he's questioning his existence and he's just kind of freaking out at this dream. And at one point, Joe comes up to him in the dream and she's telling him that he's having a nightmare and she takes hold of him and she tells him to to hold her because it's like she's the one real thing he has in life. He's he's she is his rock, basically. And as he's holding on to her, she turns wooden. She suddenly turns into like a tree lady and the top of her head breaks off and somebody's yelling his name and then he wakes up next to the fire holding a log to his chest as if it was Joe, just cradling it to his chest. And it's Dr. Flem's yelling at him, you were shouting in your sleep. Frank says, where's Joe? Where's Joe? What happened to Joe? And Dr. Flem takes the big log away from him and tells him that she had to work. She's back in Snap City and he knows that. And he starts to wake up all the way and he's, you know, he's shaking the cobwebs out of his head. And, but there's just something out there in the flats that are calling to him. And he decides that he just can't ignore it anymore. And he decides to go investigate to see what it is that's calling to him. So he heads down to the flats. He takes with him one of the, the helping hands that Dr. Flem had created. He'd created all these silver floating balls and they all had various tools and attachments on them that help him with his experiments. But two of them had arms and hands attached to them that look very much like, like Mickey Mouse hands because they have white gloves on them. And I don't remember both of their names, but the one that accompanies Frank is named Marie. And it's, it's really quite weird because it's not really important that we need to know that Marie went with him out here because Marie doesn't really do much. Marie's just kind of there and the helping hands don't talk. They don't really communicate all that much. I mean, they do, they gesture a bit, but really Marie's just there with him. And so they head out onto the flats and he's running across the, the, the flat ground, whatever it's made out of, whether it's sand or salt flats or whatnot. And suddenly he trips over something poking out of the flats. And it's this colorful object that's kind of kind of like clay. Okay, imagine this. I don't know if you've ever done this before. I certainly have. You get a you get a thing, a starburst, and you pull out all the different colors and you unwrap them. And then you just press them all together and you work them in your hands and they become more malleable. And then you turn them into a ball and it's like this multicolored ball. I don't know if you've ever done that before. I have. That's what this looks like. And it's poking up out of the ground. He trips on it and he realizes there's something to this thing. There's something about it, something that is calling to him. And so he starts to pull away some of the dirt or the earth around it and it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so he calls out to Dr. Flem and he tells him to bring the shovels and they just keep digging and digging and digging. And this thing is freaking huge. And they get about, I don't know, far, far enough down that Frank is standing beside it and it comes up to maybe his armpit and they've barely broke the surface on this thing. And then a little piece of it kind of pops out and Frank goes to touch it and Flem's like, no, no, don't touch it. And then when he does, He's like, he like melts into this thing and suddenly he's inside it and he's walking around and it's really weird in there and it's a lot of colors and a lot of squiggly shapes and he finds himself at the very center of it and at the very center is a weird looking alien in like, in, in like a, a, a bubble. And these things come out of the walls and one turns into a microphone and one pokes him in the head and causes an antenna to come out of its head. And this alien uses that to communicate with Frank. And Frank's like, what are you doing here out here in the middle of the desert inside underground? And the thing's like, I'm not actually here. You're inside a galactic transmitter. 
And he's, oh, okay, a galactic transmitter. Whatever, what's going on? Why, why, why am I here? And this alien tells him that 1,962 years ago, one of their people who they call Pioneer Reddick the Elder, who is an explorer, came to this planet. And this transmitter is also a intergalactic transporter. And Elder Riddick used this thing to call home and say, okay, I'm done with my exploring. I'm ready to come home. And then when they go to activate it to bring him home, he's no longer there. They can't find him. They know he's alive because this thing is like a compass and it's tied to him. And if he ever dies, it will just basically pop out of existence and basically transport itself back to wherever their planet is. But for almost 2,000 years, they've been sitting there waiting for him to continue contact and say, all right, now I'm ready. But, but again, they've just, they've lost contact with him. They don't know where he is. All they know is he's on earth and that he's alive. And Frank says, okay, so he's, he's trying to clarify. Okay. So let's see a space explorer arrived on this planet almost 2000 years ago, asked for a ride home and you sent this round thing to come pick him up. Right. The alien says, right. He says, so somehow I got the call that his ride is here, and now I'm inside this transmitter, this celestial compass. And the alien says, that is correct, man who is mad. And Frank says, what? Why me? And the alien says, your brain uses a certain component, advanced and unused by your species. This allowed you to receive our signal. And he goes, so I'm like advanced, smarter than other humans? And the alien says, hardly. So... Basically, Frank at this point is tasked to go out and find this space explorer because they have sent a spaceship back to get him, but they are so far away that it's even after 2000, almost 2000 years, the spaceship hasn't quite reached Earth yet. This galactic transporter, on the other hand, is much, much faster. They would prefer that space that pioneer Riddick the Elder just get into the freaking transporter. And so because Frank can communicate with this thing, he's asked to go out and find this old alien dude. And basically the way it works is he gets out of the transmitter and it shrinks down to basically pocket-sized. And now he has kind of the coordinates in his head. He's, he's able to, to use this transmitter and whatever it is in his head that can, that can communicate with it because it's also like a compass. It knows where on earth Riddick the Elder is and it's going to help Frank go and find him, but it can't move about by itself. It's not something that can just get up and move about and find this alien. Frank has to take it to this alien. And once he's there, the alien can get inside it and go back home. So Frank is explaining all this to Dr. Flem after he comes out of the, the transmitter. And then suddenly he senses that there's some bad majumbo happening. And there across the flats, they see somebody zooming at them in a car. It's actually a Jeep, and there are two men in the Jeep. They're basically like men in black. One is driving, and he's got a bullhorn, and he's telling them, put your hands behind your heads and kneel on the ground. You have until the count of three. And the other guy is holding a rifle. And they count to three, and they start shooting at Frank and Dr. Flem. And <laughs> Dr. Flem has this idea, which is basically to run. They have to get to the rocks. And they manage to make it to the rocks without getting shot. And that's when... That's when, that's actually when Dr. Flem has the idea. Cause he says, at this point, now that we're in the rocks, they can't follow us in the Jeep. They're going to have to go on foot. So if we can get over the rocks quick enough, we can get to the camper and drive off and lose them. And Frank says, can you make it to the top? And Dr. Flem says, we'll see. Split up, 
than serpentine, which basically means they they head up these rocks, right? Well, these other guys are going to be down on the 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 floor of the canyon, and they're going to be shooting at them with a rifle. But if they zip and zap and zig and zag, then maybe they won't get hit. So as they're running up the side of this mountain, and they're these guys are firing at them, Doctor Flem's like serpentine, serpentine, and they're just just opening up on them, and and it gets to the point where they just they can't go any further, and they're hiding for cover. And one of these men in black basically tell him, look, we know you got that little thing. If you give it to us, we'll let you walk walk out of here with your lives. And Frank says, okay, fine. And he takes a little communicator thing, the little uh, transporter thing, the little transmitter, and he sticks it on this rocky ledge. And one of the men in black whispers to the other one, when I grab that thingy, you pop them both. And the other guy says, gotcha. And then somebody above them says, I heard that, and they spin and go, oh, no, it's Special Agent JB. And there's another guy, another man in black, up top on this ridge, and he blows them up with a bazooka. Actually, he kills one, and the other one runs away, and he's got this freaking doohickey coming out of his ear with, like, a little satellite dish on it, and that's what he was using to hear him, and he refers to him as stinking liars, and he's got a big fancy pompadour just like Dr. Boyford. Really weird. So he goes down and he gets Frank and he gets Dr. Flem and he helps him and he tells him, well, all three of us actually work for the government, just different departments. I like to think I'm with the good guys. It's all relative, man, you know? And so the other guy jumped in his Jeep and he drives away and JB tells him that he's, he's there to help them. And so they get up to the road where this guy's car is. And when, well, actually they get up to the campsite and they find out that the camper is gone. And so JB's like, oh, don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll find your friend. Let's just get in the car and we'll go. And he radios back to his, you know, his people that, you know, to be on the lookout for this camper. And, uh, as they're driving along, Frank's like, look, I need to make sure that I can trust you. And JB's like, all right, ask me anything you want. But instead, Frank grabs his head and he uses his psychic impression deal to find out that he can trust this dude. And, and so they head off to the nearest airport. Because based on what this little ball is telling him, they're going to need to fly to get where they're going to need to go. But as they're driving down the road, they come across the camper. It's pulled over on the side of the road. Somebody has scrawled mathematical formulas all over it, as well as the rocky cliffs next to it, the rocky ledges, these big rock walls. And they find Dr. Boyford, and he's just freaking walking around like a zombie, and he's speaking in formulaic code. And he's got black ink or paint or whatever just dripping off of him from where he was scrawling all these messages. And his eyes are all messed up. He's just, he's just messed up. His brain head thing has gotten bigger and he's just messed up. And so they, they, they call for an ambulance. They stick him inside the ambulance. They, they take a ride on the ambulance to the airport. And then the ambulance takes off with Dr. Boyford. So they're standing outside the airport and Frank is holding this little ball and he concentrates on it and his head does this weird thing. It's the, the art in this book. Again, it's just so spectacular. Suddenly he has like a globe around his head, like a wireframe globe. And then his head, just bubbles start popping out of his head and like a mountain or something comes out of his head. It's really freaking spectacularly awesome. And it tells him exactly where they need to go. And he writes down the coordinates. JB makes a call. And before you know it, he's behind the wheel of a private airplane. And they're flying off into the into the sky. 
to go wherever it is that they need to go. And that's when Cosmo shows up. Suddenly, this guy on like a red futuristic rocket bike, he's wearing like black with yellow boots and he's got a helmet on and he starts flying around the plane and he lands on the wing and there are magnets, like the big round, the big horseshoe shaped cartoon magnets on the side of this rocket ship, this rocket freaking motorcycle thing, this rocket bike. I don't know why I can't think of what to call it. It's a rocket bike. They're sticking out of the side of this rocket bike. So he's able to land on the wing and magnetically seal the bike to the wing. And Frank's watching this through the window and he's like, wowee, magnets. And the guy comes up to the door and he breaks the door open. He just slams into it with his shoulder. The door flies into the plane. The guy jumps into the plane. Give me that, he says to Frank, pointing at the little freaking ball thing. And he grabs it from Frank and Frank fights back. He grabs his lead-filled yo-yo and he, he swings it at the guy and wraps it around the guy's head and they start fighting. And they end up out on the freaking wing of the plane and they're duking it out. And at one point, the guy pulls out a gun and tries to shoot Frank. It's like some kind of ray gun and Frank is able to push the guy's hand away as he's firing, but it takes out one of the propellers on that side of the plane. And that's when the guy suddenly is like, oh, uh, maybe I better help these people because Frank starts to fall off of the wing and the guy grabs him and he tells Frank, don't worry, I won't let go. Plus, I'm wearing magna boots, which I'm assuming are magnetic boots. And they're down one engine now, so they're going to crash. So the guy just jumps back. He throws Frank back into the into the plane, jumps onto his rocket bike, starts it up, keeps it connected to the wing, and basically uses his rocket bike as the other engine on the plane. And they are able to land safely. And it looks like they're in some kind of tropical area, but it, it also seems more like South America. I don't think they actually say where they're at. But based on a pyramid that they come across, which looks like an old Incan pyramid, they seem to be in, in South America. They're there for at least a day because they have to camp out overnight. But they, they come across these ruins, this temple, this pyramid type thing. And within the temple are living what they refer to as a ghost tribe. And the ghost tribe tries to kill them. And they're running from the ghost tribe. And the 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 crazy dude on the rocket bike, whose name is Cosmo Carson, he's shooting these freaking ghost tribe guys with his his laser pistol. And they're able to get into the temple, but they can't go any further. They, they, they get to like a little room and these tribesmen are coming after them. But then suddenly there's this dude there in a, in a cloak, like this old cloak that's all packed patched up and torn, and he speaks to the tribe's people, and they all leave. And he tells them, you are safe now. Please don't be afraid. And they ask him who he is. He says, I am one of three. I am Nephite. These people are Lamanite. Now, this is a Mormon thing. So if you're not aware, Mike Allred's a Mormon. He actually did a comic book series based on the Mormon religion. I've never read it. There, it was called like the Golden Plates or something. Um, I'm not here to get into some kind of theological discussion, uh, you know, about Mormons or, or any of that because I did look up. I wanted to see what Nephite meant and Lamanite and all I could, all I, I didn't do a lot of research. It's a Mormon thing. We'll just leave it at that. So as this guy is talking to him, Cosmo Carson's like, how, how do you know my language? And, JB's like, what are you talking about? He's speaking French with the Cajun slang. And Frank says, what? French? He sounds English to me. And that's when Dr. Flem realizes that this guy is speaking in tongues. 
He says, ancient prophets were given the gift of tongues to speak and teach to all people with complete understanding, no matter what the language. Anyway, this this dude, this one of three, takes Frank and Cosmo and Dr. Flem and uh, JB, takes them into the temple where we finally meet Elder Reddick or Reddick the Elder or whatever you want to call him. He's the same kind of alien that we met earlier, except for he doesn't have any legs and he's only got one arm. Frank hands him the little bowl and the dude just kind of grabs onto Frank and has Frank carry him to the top of this pyramid. And they're sitting up there and he's getting ready to, to, to you know, activate this little ball so that Riddick can go. And it's this really weird scene where they're sitting there at the top of this pyramid. It's just the two of them. And Frank says, before you take this, can I ask you a very direct question? And Riddick just reaches out and grabs his nose and says, beep, got your nose. And then he pulls Frank's mask down. Matt, Frank has like a little antenna now sticking out of the top of his head. It goes, whoop. And Frank says, please tell me. Do you believe in God? And this thing, this ball opens up and surrounds him. And as it's closing around him, Riddick says, yes. And then he is shot forth into space to go back to where he was supposed to go. Cosmo Carson is like, well, you know, all's well that ends well. Turns out that Cosmo Carson was sent to get Reddick. When the alien there at the beginning of the story said that they had they had met with, uh, they had talked to like the Coalition of Planets or something to send somebody to come help, that ended up being Cosmo Carson. JB's really upset because he didn't get anything out of this. He should have gotten a blood sample or a skin sample or a DNA sample or something, and he didn't get nothing. And we end... Frank still has a little ball. I'm not sure how he has it. He's still, he, he's got this little ball hanging off a string, but I think there were more of them laying around. I don't know. I'm not really quite certain what this is because when they meet Riddick down underground, well, there's like fruits and stuff around and Maybe this is a fruit that Frank suddenly has. It doesn't look quite the same as that transmitter. But anyway, they're all getting ready to leave. Uh, JB's asking, uh, hey, you think, we can all fit on that sky cycle of yours. Ah, forget it. I'll radio for a pickup. And then we leave with Frank's thoughts. I just remembered a song. The song is about a note, a musical note. The note in its purity began all creation. And the same note could also destroy all it created. I now fully realize how fragile all creation is and should always be cherished. I'm wide awake in my dreams. The note is eternal and I can hear it. And that's how it ends. Now, so now that this series is done, I want to talk really quick about this series compared to the other series, because really the other series, each one is three issues, but the first series was was a story. It told a continuing story from the, the first issue all the way through to the third issue. This second series, it's called Madman Adventures, and each issue is pretty much a standalone. You do have the kind of the story of Boyford to a small extent, as far as Boyford shooting up with the brain serum, but really it's just three standalone adventures that Frank ends up going on. The first one is a time travel adventure. Well, no, the first one is more of a day in the life of Frank because it's really just him and he goes out with Joe and he meets the street beatniks, which do become a thing later in the book. We meet the street beatniks again later in the book and they become something so much more. They become a very important part of the book later on down the line, if I remember correctly. But then the second issue was a, was kind of a time travel adventure where he goes back to prehistoric times and meets that crazy old lady. And now this one is kind of a space adventure, even though they don't actually go into space. It was really fun. These three issues were really fun. 
And I keep saying this, but now I'm just even more pumped to get into the next series. The next series is called Madman Comics, I believe. And it was put out by Dark Horse. These first two series came out by Tundra, which I believe it's no longer around. And I think it was created by one of the two guys that that uh, created Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I think Kevin Eastman started Tundra, or maybe it was Peter Laird. I'm not sure which one, but I'm pretty sure one of those guys started it. And it was a small... Small publisher. It wasn't a big, they didn't, I don't remember them doing much more. Uh, this is the only book I ever remember being on Tundra. Maybe the Turtles were on Tundra at one point. I don't know. I don't quite remember. I just know that the, the publisher is not around anymore. But for the next series, which again, I think is just called Madman Comics, that was put out by Dark Horse. And it was more, each one of these issues from the first two series were like double issues. They're like 50 pages. Once we get to the Dark Horse series, they're just regular sized single comic book issues. And I feel like there is some kind of continuous story told throughout. I just can't quite remember what that is. Here's what I do remember. Let me tell you what you can expect because I didn't read all of the Dark Horse series, but I know we're going to meet an alien from the planet Hoople whose name is Mott. I know we're going to meet a robot that was designed or based off of Frank. And I can't remember what his name is, Atomic Man or something. He's like almost like a superhero dude. I know that something's going to happen to the street beatniks so that they become something else. And then later on in the issues that I haven't read yet, from what I understand, they become even more of something else later on down the line. Uh, beyond that, I don't remember much more. I remember at some point there's a giant puke monster, which sounds really gross, and I'm sure it is. Um, but I just, my mind is really going blank for a lot of, what this next series is. And it's that's kind of weird because this is where I came in is this Dark Horse series. That's the the first issue I picked up was the first issue of Madman Comics from Dark Horse and eventually I went back and bought Madman and Madman Adventures. Again, the art is beautiful. Beautiful. His style changes from the first series to the second series, not by much, but it's it's more of a uh He's developing more as an artist. He's more, he's finding his style more. And then of course, the, this second series is all, is, is in color. Everything is in color from this point out, colored by his wife, Laura. When the next series starts up, it still somewhat looks the same stylistic as this series that we just finished going over, but he does go through a slight progression as the series continues and he really kind of really kind of finds his style and eventually he goes off and does other books he does ecstatic for marvel he does silver surfer for marvel he does a bunch of other books he does i zombie for dc but this is where he started this is where he cut his teeth and this is some of my favorite stuff this is for me the golden era the golden the, this is <laughs> When they talk about 90s comics and how horrible 90s comics were, I always point to Madman and say, not all of them, not all of them. But we'll get to that next series next month, folks. I hope you're excited. If you're enjoying the show, please let me know. You can send an email to feedback at stevenorelse.com. You can go out to, I always post about the episodes on Twitter. I've got a Facebook page, just another fanboy podcast over there at face, Facebook. You can come there and uh, be part of that. And leave, you know, 
Tell me if you're enjoying the episodes. I post about the episodes there as well. I even put the episodes up or I post about them on Instagram. So you can go to any one of those platforms. If you're on any one of those, come say something. Come say, hey, I listened to the episode. I really enjoyed it. Yay. You know, tell me how you found me. Tell me how you got on board. I don't know. Just tell me something. Tell me something good. Also, if you feel so inclined, if you're listening to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, please go give the show a rating. I'm not asking you to to review it. You don't have to write an article. Just pick a star, one through five, one being the worst, five being the best. Boom, hit one of those stars, rate it for me. The more three, four, five star you know, ratings I get, the higher up in the algorithms I go. And I know you have to have a certain number before you're even part of the algorithm, before you show up on any of those first page things, you know? So I need those. If you listen to the podcast anywhere else and it provides you with an opportunity to rate or review, please do so. If you're listening to the podcast through YouTube, like the episode, boom, like it, subscribe, do all that stuff. If you want to help support me in this effort to create this podcast, you can join me over at the Patreon at patreon.com slash Stephen Dollar a month, that's the minimum payment. One dollar every month, $12 a year, and you're going to get special posts by me. You're going to get access to a private Facebook group, and you're going to get a whole other podcast called My Other Podcast. If you listen to the previous episode, it's kind of like this. It's just me talking about more comics. It's like if you really, truly want more of me every week, that's where you go. Maybe I'll put a... I'll put an option there. Like, you know, you want to pay a lot more money then you can get less of me. You know, I don't know. Maybe nobody wants this much of me every single week. But you know what? If you're a patron member, if you're a patron person, you're getting three episodes from me every month. Two episodes just every month, every week. Good Lord. It's late, folks. I need to wrap up this episode. I almost didn't record tonight. I was literally getting ready to post on Twitter. I'm taking the week off from podcasting because frankly the state of the country has got me depressed I don't want to talk about it here but it's been really hard for me to even feel creative much less excited about these books that I'm reading but I'm glad I, I'm glad I came out and recorded because uh, I had a lot of I had a lot of fun talking about this book and I can't wait to talk about more but until then my name is Steven and I'm just another fanboy be nice to each other wear a mask stay safe Good job. Mm.